Greetings, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Stuff We Love podcast. If you have listened to us before, thanks for tuning in again. And if you're new to the show, thanks for joining us. We hope that you enjoy the show and subscribe. And at the end of the show, there'll be some information on how to do that. For this, our third episode, we are going to be doing a tribute to the great movie ride, hearing from Jack on his trip to Naples, Florida, and introducing the Stuff We Love Fantasy Football League. Let's meet the hosts. I'm Joe. I'm Scott. I'm Jack. I'm Neil. And you're listening to the Stuff We Love Podcast. Welcome to Stuff We Love Podcast. So for this, our third episode, we wanted to pay tribute to the great movie ride at Disney's Hollywood Studios. The great movie ride is one of the signature attractions at the theme park and is due to close permanently on August 13th, 2017. We are recording the show on August 10th, so we're just a couple of days away from closing. I thought I would begin this discussion of the great movie ride by sharing a personal anecdote from the attraction. Many people ask me when I came to be a huge fan of Walt Disney World, and it's tough for me to answer that because I have been there so many times. But one particular trip stands out in my memory, and that's when I went with my family back in high school. We stayed at the Yacht Club Hotel, we went to all of the theme parks, and we went many times on the great movie ride during that vacation. And that certainly played a role in helping me become a massive fan of Walt Disney World. What I loved about the attraction was that it combined classic Disney Imagineering with some of my favorite films of all time. It represented what Hollywood Studios is about so well. And I just had such wonderful memories of going on the ride over and over and discovering new things each time I went on it that that helped solidify my being a major Walt Disney World fan. So I wanted to kick off the discussion by sharing that anecdote with my co-hosts and our listeners. And before we proceed to a discussion, I just thought I would take the listeners through a very brief overview of what the great movie ride entailed. Basically, you entered the replica of Grauman's Chinese Theater which was decorated out front with uh, handprints and footprints of classic movie stars. You watched previews on a big movie screen as you waited to board the attraction vehicle. Then you got on the vehicle, and even though it technically wasn't controlled by a human, a human was at the front of each vehicle, and the song Hooray for Hollywood played as the ride began. Among the movies that were featured in the attraction were performers from Busby Berkeley's Footlight Parade, Gene Kelly from Singing in the Rain, James Cagney in The Public Enemy, Julie Andrews and Dick Van Dyke and Mary Poppins, Clint Eastwood in A Fistful of Dollars, John Wayne in The Searchers, Sigourney Weaver in Alien, Harrison Ford in Raiders of the Lost Ark. There was a tribute to classic horror movies, clips of Mickey Mouse in Fantasia, Humphrey Bogart and Ingrid Bergman in Casablanca, Johnny Weissmuller and Marino Sullivan in Tarzan the Ape Man, and there was a major scene towards the end of the ride depicting Munchkin Land from The Wizard of Oz and the four leads from that film including Judy Garland walking on the yellow brick road. At the end of the attraction, vehicles would stop in front of a large movie screen where there would be a tremendous movie montage featuring film legends, including Cary Grant, Dudley Moore, Gene Wilder, Robin Williams, Gary Cooper, Julie Andrews, and Betty Davis, among many others. And the last point I'll make before our discussion is that this was one of the only rides that I could think of where humans interacted with audio animatronics in Disney World. I don't know if I'm right about that, but I think I may be. So with that, I'm going to 
open it up to the floor for discussion. Gentlemen, what are your thoughts about uh, the great movie ride and memories you have on that attraction? I have a couple thoughts about the great movie ride and its closing. First, I, I really enjoyed this ride. Uh, Scott, I also have great memories uh, with the great movie ride. And what's sad about it going also is uh, not just the nostalgia and the, uh, the great memories, but I feel like that was a great place for generations to be introduced to classic movies that they otherwise might not be on their radar screen. So it might encourage someone uh, to put on Turner Classic Movies or, or go to Netflix and try to find some of these classic films and see Casablanca when they're aren't that many other places out there where they can do that um, uh, on their own or be encouraged to do so on their own. And I know it encouraged me to explore uh, classic movies even more than I already uh, was doing. And uh, so that's that's a loss. On the other hand, I do understand why it makes sense for uh, Disney to move on. I always thought it would be cool, A, if they got rid of Groundman's and they made it Carthay Circle. Uh, I, I think that would be much more in line with Disney, and I think it would also be easier for them to market due to whatever uh, issues they might have with Groundman's uh, trademark and whatever the case might be from a legal stance. But uh, I, I always thought it would be cool to use the technology they used to – I think they used it to recreate Tupac and Elvis to make it – very modern, cutting edge. It loses its nostalgia in that sense, which the ride has sort of become as a nostalgic experience right now. But it, uh, I think that technology would have made it very, very cool to sort of immerse yourself in these classic films, to be a part of it and to really interact on a different level because it is dated and it does need a refurbishment. And, and, and another issue with that would be if there is a refurbishment, I don't know what type of legal issues Disney might have trying to get the rights to all those entities that mm -hmm. you mentioned. Uh, I'm not sure what the contracts were uh, regarding so many of those classic figures, but I can imagine that it would be a legal headache to redo a ride and uh, and redo all that type of legal framework with it. Uh, and I'm not sure what the uh, uh, arrangements are currently or what they will be. But um, it is needed, and uh, and to not have that would be would be difficult to not have those updates. So I do understand why it's going, and but I will miss it uh, at the same time. And uh, it is sad though that generations might lose out on one of these last one of the last types of venues to introduce on such a massive scale, sort of a classical. Uh, a classic uh, look at classic films and, and, and the arts. Jack and Joe, before we hear from you, I did hear on another podcast that Disney's deal that they had with Turner Classic Movies, which enabled them to perform certain updates to the attraction, has expired. And that could be one of the reasons why the attraction is closing down. I don't know if that's true, but I just mentioned it as something I heard. Yeah, I, I honestly think it makes sense to close the attraction down. I gotta I gotta say it's it's very dated. I, I have great memories of the great movie ride. It opened in 1989, I think. I went to, then went to Disney in 1990 and 91, and I my biggest memory of the ride is not of the ride itself, but it's getting off the ride and buying an original Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade movie poster <laughs> at the gift shop right outside, which was a full-size movie poster like the kind you see in the movie theaters. I still remember that. I remember that poster hung over my bed for four or five years after that, and that, you know, to me, is kind of what the great movie ride is. It just has those memories of those classic movies. Um depending on whether you think Indiana Jones and Last Crusade is a classic movie or not. But it's it's time for a reboot, in my opinion. I think it's time for the ride to go, and I'm glad that they're putting in new rides and new areas to replace it. Um, but it was a great ride while it lasted, but you know these things need to be updated. I, I think it is – I'm okay with the move. 
Question. What do you think? Question, yeah. question for the hosts. In all honesty, if they turned it into the worst movie ride where it would take you through <laughs> the worst movies in history, would you not be interested in going on it? I would fast pass that ride every day. <laughs> me too. <laughs> I honestly think that would be a great idea, and then maybe they that would be an awesome ride to go on. But to again, it. it's it's a reboot, and it would be a new ride. It's time for something new there. Yeah, I'm torn, much like most of the hosts are. But I'd have to say, I think a lot of the reason that there's so much backlash against them closing is because as Disney grows and grows, if it's not big enough already, people fear that they lose the original message of what Disney was. And so with them closing one of the most classic rides that Hollywood Studios was was known for, I think it just raises a red flag for a lot of people. But at the same time, I don't doubt that Disney's hands were tied in a legal battle between the rights to updating it or keeping it going. Um, but at the same time, it's Disney, and I feel like they have enough lawyers to do whatever they want. So at the same time, I don't know how big of a problem that really would have been for them. But... I mean, the new ride coming in, the Mickey Mouse animation ride, should be cool. It'll be interesting if they do what they did with um, Frozen in um, Norway, if they keep the same track as the ride that was there before them and just kind of incorporate it, because they already have a lot of movie screens um, in the ride, and it seems like it's going to... Well, we know it's going to be an animated ride. We're going to be following these animated characters along. So if they just keep a lot of the same kind of uh, uh, framework for the ride and they just kind of put new you know, the new ride in it. It would be interesting to see what they do. But See, one, Jack, one of the things you said is interesting there is that people are upset they're replacing, they're replacing what a piece of classic Disney, but they're not replacing with a, you know, nondescript roller coaster. They're putting a Mickey Mouse ride in there, which I That's think true. extends what they're kind of going for there. I think That's it's, true, yeah. I course. think it's the right move. And they need a new ride. It, it still harkens back to classic Disney. You can't get any more classic than Mickey Mouse. So mm-hmm. I, I think it's a good move. I've heard many people say that uh, they are parents of little kids and that the great movie ride wasn't even on their radar screen because they would take their kids on the ride and they wouldn't know almost any of the movies except for perhaps Mary Poppins and the Wizard of Oz. Um, and Neil, I know what you're saying about going out and searching films that you see on the ride, but I don't think a lot of people do that nowadays. I think these classic films are getting harder and harder to sell to younger generations. That's true. Definitely. We should, we should conduct a poll of people leaving the great movie ride. To see which ones they've Netflixed or cute. you're probably right. There's probably been zero uh, exclusive uh, YouTube content. <laughs> that'd be great. I still feel like it. It, it is. I, even if it's a select few individuals who get inspired by what they see, you know, it's tough to sort of quantify that. Um, uh, you know, if you look at how it might have impacted them further down the road, uh, I, I still, uh, I, I still. Also, there's another aspect of the great movie ride that I'll miss now that I think about it, and that's. Like the Jungle Cruise, your ride was always impacted based on who was the uh, not the driver, host. but the host. Yeah, yeah, the host on the vehicle, and there was something uh, about that that there was a live performance, and I always loved uh, having a live performance uh, associated with some. There are very few, even in Disney World, where that's mixed in with an attraction that you're riding through. So that will be missed. Yeah, I agree with Neil there because that's another sense of classic Disney. Like classic theme parks were less technologically advanced so it wasn't just all you know robots and screens and cgi running them but it was a lot of other than roller coasters of course but there was a lot of um individual entertainment basically and so the classic aspects of hollywood studios are being taken away but joe brings up a great point they're they're replacing it with classic mickey mouse which cannot be more original to disney as a whole so if there was one movie that you guys think 
should be on the great movie ride regarding any type of issues of Disney's rights to doing it or, or whatnot. Is there any movie that you wish was on there that, uh, that, that, that has never been? It's mm, a good question. The Godfather. I was good just going to say that my favorite movie of all time, The Godfather. Probably be Not sure one. how they would do that, but uh, that would be, that'd be great. <laughs> I would like to see uh, one of the Hitchcock films maybe depicted on the ride. Something like the was, birds. Was, or, yeah. was, there, uh, was there a scene from North by Northwest on there or no? In the montage at the end, they the show Cary Grant okay. running from the plane. Okay, it's a very good memory. Um, ah, thank you, Jack. <laughs> and then there was—I don't—I guess the most recent movie on the attraction was could it be Alien? Is that possible? They the had most a, recent oh, film. Okay, and that was broken for a while, right? Did yeah. they ever fix that? Um, I th- they renovated the, the Alien because it it had different capacities. It used to come down all the way at one point, and then right. it wasn't coming down at all. And then they made it so it just kind of comes down half. And so they were okay. they were working with that for a little bit. Oh, okay, okay. Yeah, I, I mean, what, they could they could do some classic movies. They could do Forrest Gump or The Lord of the Rings or something like that. Sure, but um, uh, you know, I, I just I think it's time has passed. That's just I would, I would have liked to have seen the Great Escape, <laughs> the motorcycle scene. That would have been cool to see there. That would be great. Or Cool Hand Luke, where they eat the eggs. <laughs> <laughs> that, that would be terrific. They could bring it straight from one of the buffets in Disney World. <laughs> That'd be great. But you I'd know, it's that. um, I, I definitely see what you guys are saying, and and I sort of I'm leaning towards the idea of the ride closing down and because it's just maybe past its time. But now in Hollywood studios, there probably is nothing to represent classic Hollywood other than the music that they play in the background at the parks and maybe a couple of other references. That's, yeah. I think, what's being lost here. And that's yeah. that's unfortunate. It is what it is, and they're making mm-hmm. way for Star Wars Land and Toy Story Land. And while Steamboat Willie, you know, the animated, the old animated Mickey uh, ride they're going to put in is classic Disney, it's not necessarily classic Hollywood Studios because MGM originally, you know, was built on movies. It was built on old movies. So that ride right. was pretty central to the park. So it is classic Disney, but it's not necessarily classic hollywood which scott brought up last that there's not really a huge connection to that anymore and i don't even know well, what they're going to do with the uh the chinese theater are they just going to get rid of it and put up they the, should i, think I don't should. think so I, th- I think if i heard correctly they're going to keep the outside of the theater the same as it is now and just update huh. with the mickey ride but i'm not positive on that if one of our users could tweet us that would be great and uh, before we turn to some listener tweets am i right that this is one of the only rides at disney world where humans interact with the auto animatronics for guests? I think so. Can you think of any others? Well, uh, Jungle Cruise to a degree. Jungle Cruise to a degree. Yes, it's a good point. I don't think at Epcot and Animal Kingdom, I don't think so. Um, it's interesting point about the attraction. But anyhow, we're, we're going to conclude our great movie ride discussion by reading some listener tweets. We reached out to our fans to ask them to share their own memories and thoughts about the great movie ride, and we got many responses. So we're going to start off with at Epscott, E-P-S-C-O-T, that's my friend Scott. He has a memory of the great movie ride where he experienced the vehicle being hijacked by a cowboy, which is part of the attraction. Scott went three times without knowing this was part of the attraction. So that's pretty funny. Then we have at Amy Beth Combs, my friend Amy. Uh, She remembers the banter between the gangster gunmen that always made her laugh. She also remembers the smell in the part of the ride featuring Alien, which I definitely know what she's talking about. I don't know if you guys remember Mm -hmm. that, too. There is a smell when the alien descends. Um, She also made a good point that in the alien scene, she she read what was on the console 
screens. And one said conditions GUI, which shows the Disney creativity and the <laughs> hidden points in the attraction. Then we heard from at Andrew C. Fran, who admitted that the great movie ride was never his favorite attraction, but he did go on it every time he would go to Hollywood Studios. Uh, he also pointed out that he wishes the Disney deal with Turner Classic Movies could have lasted longer because it was great to see the classic Disney content on TV. And I also talked to my friends Tina and Mary. That's at Empress Tina and at – I always get this wrong. It's uh, – I'll be back to that at the, when we conclude. <laughs> but um, anyhow, they uh, – Tina pointed out that uh, one time the ride broke down while she was on it and the gangsters remained in character with what they were saying, which was very awesome. funny. Uh, Neil, apropos of what you were saying earlier, Tina makes a really good comment that resonated with me in which she said, I also just really love the movie montage at the end of the ride. The scene from Sunset Boulevard uh, where Gloria Swanson playing Norma Desmond said, we didn't need dialogue. We had faces. Made her really want to see Sunset Boulevard. Mm. Um, then we go on to uh, what Mary said. Uh, Mary made a good point that she actually went out and got Footlight Parade to see it because of the ride. Uh, she oh. had really she'd never seen the movie and really enjoyed it, and she would never have watched it if not for the ride. And she also had a memory of the ride breaking down with the um, gangsters staying in character. It's never a good sign when half the readers recall the ride breaking <laughs> down. And uh, Mary's uh, Twitter name, by the way, is at M A P O Stormborn. Uh, I've Nice Game of Thrones reference there. Nice Game of Thrones reference. I want to make sure I got it correct. So good job, Mary. We uh, we all love Game of Thrones here on the show. So um, that's the great movie ride. So Everyone's it's an attraction. Are the, the maintenance workers staying in character as maintenance workers. <laughs> <laughs> are you seeing people online? Are they upset about this or are they kind of – they don't really care? Both, or they, I think. Both? It's a mix Yeah. Of I've seen a very mixed reaction. I think people are feeling very sentimental over the yeah. great movie ride and they will miss it. But they understand why it's closing. That seems to I be think the sentiment. Objectively, a lot of people agree with its closing, but subjectively, a lot of people feel that it shouldn't close. So uh, now we're going to turn it over to Jack for his trip report. Jack, take it away. It's time for a trip report. So I've been fortunate enough to take a trip where I am right now, actually. I'm, I'm recording from a different location than usual. But I've been in Naples, Florida this past week and have done some really cool activities. So I figure I'd tell you all a little bit about him. So first things first, we went airboating in the Everglades on an alligator viewing expedition, which was insane to say the least. So to describe it, it's basically a raft with a very large fan in the back that kind of pushes you forward the whole way. And um, the airport company was Corey Billy's. So if you're planning a trip to Florida, definitely, and you want to go to the Everglades, definitely hit them up. Um, so I felt like I was on a, uh, and Neil would well know because he loves Fast and Furious. I felt like I was in a, in a Fast and Furious movie because we were going around and there's no... Um, nothing blocking the wind from hitting you or the water or anything. So you're just going around, and it's crazy. You're only going 40 miles per hour, he said, but you feel like you're going 100 miles per hour. Um, and the crazy thing was the alligators were just so close to you. We pulled up next to a, a 12-foot alligator, which they named Jackson because they know most of the alligators apparently there. And then another cool thing was after we got off the ride, we got to uh, hold four-foot um, baby alligators, which was really cool. Um, then we also we went fishing. So we went fishing in the Gulf of Mexico out of the Naples Bay, and that was super cool. We had to get up a little bit early. We got up for a 7.30 uh, depart time, and we went to about 12. Um, and we actually caught a lot of fish. The guy we were with, I forget his name, but he knew exactly where to go because he does it for a living. And we went to an abandoned shipwreck, which he told us an interesting story about it. It was a ship 
that people were using from Cuba, and they decided just to land it on the beach at one point, and they abandoned it. So what they did was the people of Naples decided, with, of course, the help of environmentalists and stuff like that, to make a... Um, a natural reef with the boat so they sailed it out to a certain spot and just sunk it and now it's a reef there so a lot of fish would gather there so we got a lot of fish there um, for the most part we got snapper and mackerel and those are f- fish we actually got to bring home right out of the boat he cleaned them for us um, prepare them all we got to bring them right home and then we had some fish wow. tacos and that is easily the best fish I've ever had in my whole life. And my dad eats fish right. almost every night and it does not compare to eating fish fresh out of a boat. It tastes absolutely amazing. And it actually wow. made me like fish a lot more than I thought because before this, I hated Jack, fish. Was, was it the same company that you went with the airboat on or is it a separate company? Uh, different company. Um, this was just, we actually called one company and they were closed. He was on vacation, so he referred us to someone else. But they're all super nice in Naples. I guess it's just living in Florida, and Neil can test to this. People are just nicer down there. I guess it's the weather, but. <laughs> Welcome to the Sunshine State. Yeah, but speaking of which, tomorrow I'm going to be heading out to Miami to hang out with our co-host Neil. We might film some exclusive content, so if you want to make sure not to miss it, make sure to subscribe to our YouTube channel. You can find that link on our website stuffwelovepodcast.com. The YouTube link will be on the homepage where you can check out that and subscribe. And then on Saturday, I'm also going to go to a shooting range to shoot, shoot a gun for the first time, so that should be fun as well. It was a great trip. Jack, it sounds amazing. Really unbelievable vacation. And the weather was great, too. Florida's, Florida's awesome, where the worst they'll have is a thunderstorm for... 20, 30 minutes max, and then it's just sunny the rest of the day. I can't wait to hear about the rest of your trip report, especially the shooting the gun, because I'm going to do the same thing when I go to Colorado next month. So should be fun. Uh, interesting. Yeah, I can't wait to hear about that. Jack, I'm amazingly jealous of the Everglades portion. That sounds like something it that was, is once in a lifetime. It was crazy because you pull up to this place, and it's just like a little dirt path, basically, and you're you're right there. You're right in the Everglades. And um, right as you walk out of your car, there's just a little dirt um kind of divide separating you from the water and in the water there's just two alligators just swimming around and as someone from new jersey we get a lot of bears but not many alligators so it was pretty cool to see them just swimming around it was funny they'd actually wait right where the people would board the um boat i don't know if they've ever had any casualties where someone slipped and fallen in they've gotten a, a quick meal but they would wait right where you're boarding the boat and they wouldn't be anywhere anywhere else close to that so pretty funny but yeah it was wow. it was absolutely amazing um, it was so uh, scenic too. Uh, some of the parts of the ride where you'd go under the um, vegetation that they had cut in a certain way. It was crazy cool. And anyone who's going to Florida should definitely check it out. Jack, I can't wait for you to visit. And and also, uh, I gotta say, when I visited you in Naples uh, a few months ago or so, it, one of the things I love about Florida is that you really could visit different places all over the state and get a totally different feel each place you go. Uh, and, and so it, whatever you're in the mood for, you could easily find and get to for the oh, most yeah. part. Um, and that's one of the things I really love it about it. I love about it here. Totally. Cause Naples on one hand, they have the Everglades and tons of cool stuff you can do there, but then there, and they also have super nice and fancy, you know, restaurants and malls and hotels. Sure. So you get really the best of both worlds, but that's Florida. Absolutely. And you also get Disney world in Florida. So, I mean, it's pretty much no Disney world, place to be. universe, all the parks in Orlando. It's, it's great. <laughs> yeah. Terrific. Um, so now we're going to link over to Joe, who's going to introduce our fantasy football league that we have going on this year. Thanks, Jack. So switching gears a little bit, uh, football season's upcoming, and we're going to talk about the Stuff We Love Fantasy Football League. Welcome to the Stuff We Love Fantasy Football League. So this year for fantasy football, the Stuff We Love podcast will have a private league, fantasy football league, with the four hosts. 
We decided this year to do a private league because we just started out, but let us know if you want to join our league for next year. And if so, please write to us at our Gmail address. For this segment, during our episodes, we will update on which host is winning, how their team is doing, and any big announcements in the league, um, either league, NFL, or our Stuff We Love podcast league. So for this episode, we will spend the episode talking about who we are looking to select in the upcoming draft. Gentlemen? Bo Jackson. If only. <laughs> it's, not it's not Tecmo League. It's not Tecmo League. All right, so my, my question for you guys is, do you go with a running back first or a quarterback first? Or this year, do you go for Odell Beckham Jr. first? I, I was going to say uh, I personally have never selected a quarterback first, except really- maybe once. I may have taken Andrew Luck in the first round once, but that was years ago. Uh, I did take Beckham last year with the number one draft pick in one of my leagues, and it overall was good. Beckham is a sensational fantasy mm. player, but we have to be mindful of the fact that the Giants this year have tremendous depth. You know, the Giants, okay, they got Beckham, they got Sterling Shepard, they have Brandon Marshall. Those are three quality receivers, any of whom has uh, the capability to do well. I'm a little nervous about picking Beckham too high that he's not going to get the consistently high numbers mm-hmm. uh, because Manning has so many different options to throw to. So uh, that's my take on Beckham. Uh, Joe, what do you think? Top pick, who are you going for? My top pick, assuming we're doing a pure PPR league, a points per reception league, like everybody usually does, I, I would take a receiver, but I would not take Beckham. Um, I probably would take Mike Wallace if I got the top pick uh, out of Tampa Bay, um, just because I think he's more of an overall number one receiver. I, I know Odell is the number one receiver, but the Giants, while they um, upgraded at every other position than the offensive line, so the problem is Eli Manning is not going to have anybody to throw to by not having a better offensive line. He's not going to have any time. That's the same problem he had last year. Plus, they also drafted that new tight end who is essentially just another receiver. Um, so I don't think Beckham would be the first pick. I, I think Mike Wallace would be the better first pick. Um, and honestly, if he's not available, then my next pick would be Le'Veon Bell uh, from the Steelers, who I've always picked him if I could, you know, in, in the first round for my leagues, both leagues last year, and he has paid off immensely. Uh, and I, I just can't imagine him not doing it again. Best running back on the team and probably second or third best receiver on the team as well. I'm going to stay away from Odell Beckham Jr., especially because it happened last year and it's probably going to happen again this year where he's just so good that most teams just lock him off, especially when they have so many other receiving options. I feel like the combination of him being heavily guarded and having so many other options is going to give him very few looks during the majority of the year. And then also, I think running back's an easy option for first pick because if you look at a starting running back, he gets 15, typically 15 to 20 carries a game, and that's surefire ways you know he's going to be able to touch the ball and get you points. Whereas someone like Odell Beckham Jr. got his points last year with just typically it was because I had him last year too as well, Scott. And like you said, he was very inconsistent because one defense would be really good, they'd lock him off, and then another game he'd be covered heavily, but he'd just get like a breakaway catch, a six-yard touchdown catch, which happened a lot. So consistency is usually the biggest issue with wide receivers, and unfortunately I think the risk is a little bit too high for Odell Beckham Jr. So I'm going to stick with the running back. Le'Veon Bell is a great option, especially because I think he's a lot healthier this year than he was last year after the injury, and mm-hmm. um, he'll, he'll be super good. So I'm, I'm probably going to go with the running back. And uh, I didn't know um, Mike Wallace was uh, going to be such a good option I I didn't. He wasn't really on my radar. He looks pretty good. I mean, uh, honestly, it's going to be him, Le'Veon Bell, maybe David Johnson would probably be the consensus number one for most of these gotcha. leagues. He, I mean, I honestly think Le'Veon Bell is probably my number one choice. Uh, and you know, we'll see. I don't know. I think you're going to see a lot of leagues. Let's say you're in eight leagues, which is a lot, of course. Four of them will have Le'Veon Bell as the top pick, and four will have David Johnson as the top mm-hmm. pick. 
Yeah. I think there's a debate going on now. I, I will note that FoxSports.com and their fantasy expert picks did give the edge to Johnson as the ideal number one pick. But you can't go wrong, and so much of the fantasy is just you know taking your best guess, mm-hmm. who, who, and it comes down to the games and the opponents and so forth. I'm the outcaster. I'm listening. I haven't done fantasy sports now in, in many years. And the last fantasy sports league I did, I was kicked out of. Uh, <laughs> I, I, uh, I don't recall. I, I remember trying to pick Deion Sanders after he retired, but um, <laughs> <laughs> that was. But they, yeah, they they kicked me out. And I, I'm not into the whole fantasy sports thing, so I'm going to give it a try with you guys this year and. Uh, and see what I could do. Uh, uh, yes, I, I was just commenting on the uh, the David Johnson Le'Veon Bell choice. Um, <laughs> I, I think that um, <laughs> can't go wrong with either option. I, oh, I was just going to note that in one of my leagues last year, I had Matt Ryan um, as good. my QB. He's a top pick. I mean, I, I think there's flexibility. You you could wait until the fourth or fifth round, even later perhaps, to draft a quarterback. Uh, and end up with some really good choices. It, it's mm-hmm. uh, you have a lot of options there. I personally like to pick two defenses. I know defense is a position Scott, that many people two defenses. Yes. That's a waste of a pick, Scott. Yeah, it's well, a waste well, of a listen, pick. Come on, listen, gentlemen. <laughs> Fourth round, Scott league, goes for a kicker and a, a def- two defenses. No, no, no. My defenses do not come in at the end. But I will. I will cite. There was one league that I was the champion of, and in that league. I had two defenses, and one of the defenses had a bye week, and I substituted the other defense I had, and it brought me a win that week, which put me on my quest to victory. So I know that may be a little bit against the grain, but that was yes, inspiring. two defenses <laughs> is the secret key to a fantasy football championship. All I picture is that, Scott, you're going to have your pick up there, and it's going to be the Seattle defense versus Mike Evans or somebody, and you'll pick the defense, and you'll regret it. So I hope you do. <laughs> I'm excited. I'll take that pick right after you. It's going to be a good season, though. Looking forward to it. Yeah, personally, I think Le'Veon Bell has the advantage over uh, Johnson just because I think Le'Veon Bell is a lot more elusive than Johnson, and I think Le'Veon Bell is more pure talent than Johnson will have because I think mm-hmm. Johnson's running style is a lot more um, aggressive, I guess, knocks you over. But Le'Veon Bell can really, whether he's receiving or running, pick apart a defense i was watching a great video of him how he usually take this is what most runners have to develop i from what i've read when they're to become really good is um take their time before they pick a hole and Le'Veon bell has gotten better at it as the more he's played in the league and he's extremely elusive more so than david johnson i think and i think especially with a running style like david johnson's where it's more aggressive that typically declines as he gets older while Le'Veon bell with his elusive running style i think the, the skill he develops from that is only going to get better. But my question, Scott, are you picking Marshawn Lynch this year or not? Uh, one of my least favorite NFL players. Um, <laughs> so if, if I was picking based on personality, I would not pick him. Coming out of retirement, playing in Oakland, it's possible, but I I can't say it's at this point likely. Scott, you, I have to say, you want Marshawn Lynch, you can have him. This is going to be an easy league. If that, you're going to pick two defenses and Marshawn Lynch. <laughs> so um, I'm good with it. It's all yours. Maybe I'm just playing mind games. <laughs> <laughs> now we're going to get a chance to switch over to another Stuff We Love segment. We introduced it on episode two, I believe, and we're having another um, edition here. So Stuff We Love segment, as the name describes, gives us a chance to talk about the people, places, and things that are really drawing our attention right now for all the right reasons. So without further hesitation, let's start talking about some stuff we love. Let's talk about some stuff we love. Right now, I'm definitely enjoying using my power Canon PowerShot G7X camera. 
This is a point-and-shoot camera with tremendous power. Neil, our co-host, introduced me to this camera several years ago. I just got back from a vacation to Hershey, Pennsylvania, where I used the camera, and it was tremendous. I've also used it in Florida at Disney World and Miami. Uh, the, t the camera takes great pictures of a very fine, high quality. It films in high-definition video. The zoom is tremendous. It creates its own Wi-Fi network. So when you're on vacation, if you want to get those photos onto your phone or tablet or laptop immediately, you're able to do so, and it's pretty easy. Uh, it's amazingly strong for a point-and-shoot, and if you want to check one out or pick one up, please do so through our website, the product page on our website in particular, stuffwelovepodcast.com backslash products. I have the same camera, and it is fantastic. I highly recommend it as well. You use it on your national parks trips? I use it on my national parks trips. The photos come out excellent quality. Um, even if you just keep it on auto mode, it, it, it works perfectly. I highly yeah. recommend it. It's also good right. if you, it, that's a good camera for a point and shoot to fool around with the ISO to get a uh, uh, some dark photography uh, for it to come out pretty clearly. And it, it does work very well with its processor. And uh, uh, it's, it's pretty good for the price range, too. So the thing that I really like this episode is this brand new watch display and storage box that I actually picked up off Amazon. So my co-host Neil has actually really got me into watches lately, of which we'll discuss uh, a lot in further episodes. Um, and I picked up this solid wood watch display case off Amazon for only $30, but it looks a lot more than that because it's really high quality and it works super well. Um, and I've been enjoying it and it displays the watches super well. And like I said, it's good for storage. Yeah, it's great for the, it's, it's a great buy, especially for the cost. And if you are looking to pick one up yourself, like I mentioned earlier, like Scott mentioned earlier, you can do so, um, at stuffwelovepodcast.com slash products. It's a way to get yourself a great product while also supporting the show, which we greatly appreciate. Yeah. And first off, Jack, uh, I'm very excited that you've gotten into watches. Uh, I love watches. They, they're great. They're, they're, uh, there's so many aspects between the the manufacturing, the craftsmanship, uh, and the stories that the watches carry uh, that gets passed on uh, from wearer to wearer. Uh, so very excited for you to begin that journey. And uh, yes, so uh, one thing I've been enjoying a lot is the UE Boom uh, speaker. It might be the UE Boom 2. Uh, I'm not positive, but I, I picked it up and it's great, especially living in Florida when you're going to the beaches, um, when you're, uh, or even out if you're out by the pool, if you're out doing whatever, and especially we were talking about the weather where it could be a sudden heavy storm. The UE Boom, it's so versatile. You could, it could get beat up. You could put it in the water. And the sound, it's, it's known for having a very loud sound, which is great for what its purpose is, just like headphones. There are different headphones for different reasons. There are different microphones for different reasons. There's also different speakers for different reasons. And for the needs for this, which is to have outdoor fun uh, and, and durability, the sound is great, in my opinion, for that purpose. Um, and uh, uh, and they're aesthetically, it's very, very cool. I have to say my favorite, I don't have it. It's uh, I saw it. It's only sold at the Apple Store. It's a new colorway, and it's very, very cool. Um, I, I don't know the name of it, but if you go to the Apple Store and you, you look up the UE Boom, I'm sure it'll direct you right to it. Uh, but uh, I love it. I, I've been using it nonstop now, especially since I moved down here. Really, really enjoying it. Very nice, Neil. So I just want to um, mention... A Two quick things that I've been interested in this week. I'm obviously really interested in the national parks and uh, everything to do with them, hiking and all. And there's a new print series out by a company called 59 Parks. The web address is 59parks.net. And what they do is they get different uh, artists to come in and each artist draws a new poster for uh, a different national park. 
And these artists are very well known in the poster community. The latest poster that just came out this week was for Mammoth Cave National Park in Kentucky. That was drawn by Nicholas Delort, who is a very well known artist. He draws for Dark Hall Mansion. He draws amazing movie posters, Disney posters. Um, another artist who was on there is Dan McCarthy. Same same idea. Uh, and, and so each one of these parks is drawn by a different author, uh, artist, I keep saying author, but they are just unbelievable. There's different styles for each poster and they're great. Uh, and the last thing I want to mention is I also picked up a couple um, Wemo Insight uh, Wi-Fi enabled smart plugs, which lets me plug in uh, this device into the wall and then I plug anything I want into the device, so a lamp or anything else. And then I can control that with my phone. It works with Alexa. Um, it works with uh, an app on the phone, and you can see how much energy you're using in all of this. And it's just it actually has helped me a lot. I can tell when the power's out in my house. So I picked up a few of these, uh, and I will add the link to the um, the products page on our website also. Joe, quick question for you about the National Park series. Are they uh, posters that come framed, or do you frame them yourself? They come unframed. They are prints. Um, and they come in different sizes. They're not very expensive, but the, the quality of these posters are amazing. So obviously I haven't been to every one of the parks. It's called 59 parks because there's 59 national parks in the system. And so they're going to do one for each. But every time a new poster comes out, uh, it's just it, it's awesome to see what the artist has done with it. And the, the high quality, I, if you're familiar with like a Mondo poster company, yep. uh, it's the same idea, same type of, it's the same artists essentially who also draw for all that and for all the other, Dark Hall Mansion is another one that everybody should check out. It's very cool. Uh, they do a lot of movie posters, old time, things like that. Um, so there, I, I highly recommend checking that out. It's really cool. Very nice. That's awesome. So we want to thank everyone for tuning into this episode. I, I just want to point out something that we've said a few times on the show. If you go to our official website, stuffwelovepodcast.com, to our products page, you'll be able to find links to the stuff we've talked about. And we also have links to some stuff on Amazon, which pertains to great movie ride merchandise uh, and various products. We spent a lot of time tonight talking about the great movie ride, and we wanted to give you the option to – make purchases uh, related to that attraction. And when you do so by following the links on our website, you support the show at the same time. So definitely do that. Uh, we want to encourage you to follow us on Twitter at Stuff We Love Pod or on Instagram at Stuff We Love Podcast. Please like us on Facebook. Uh, our website is StuffWeLovePodcast.com. Our email is StuffWeLovePodcast at gmail.com. Please write in and tell us what you think about the show. We are encouraging everyone to leave uh, reviews on iTunes of what they think. Uh, we had our first five-star review on iTunes from our friend Andrew, who said, great podcast, give it a listen. Andrew, we really appreciate your kind words and friendship. We also had positive remarks about the podcast on Twitter from Donnie Mac, that's at CanuckDuck789, and uh, Amy, Amy Beth Combs, thanks again um, for listening and for your support. And please, everyone, subscribe to the podcast. And uh, tonight, uh, first I'll send it around the table to wish to let everyone say goodbye, and then I'm going to conclude on a, a serious note. So uh, thank you for tuning in, Jack. Yeah, I hope everyone enjoyed the trip report, and make sure if you're going to Florida, if you have any questions, make sure to write into the show, and I can definitely help you out. Neil? Thanks, everyone, for listening. Uh, it was a pleasure being here with you, fellas. Uh, thanks for having me on here, and uh, looking forward to the, the next one. So and before this is Joe, oh, oh, Joe I'm sorry, and I <laughs> echo the thoughts of my two co-hosts and the <laughs> other person who I won't mention right now, Scott. But uh, thanks everybody for listening. Uh, we really appreciate it, and definitely you know keep up with the podcasts 
and enjoy uh, the future episodes. So before we wrap up this episode, we want to take a moment to commemorate Glenn Campbell, who passed away earlier this week. Glenn was a singer, songwriter, musician, actor, and television show host who had many hit songs, including but not limited to Wichita Lineman, Rhinestone Cowboy, and Galveston. Little known fact that you may not be aware of is that Glenn Campbell actually played with the Beach Boys and replaced Brian Wilson on tour with the group when Brian Wilson stepped away from touring. Uh, Glenn passed away from Alzheimer's disease, and his battle with the disease was captured in one of the most uh, emotional documentary films I've ever seen called Glenn Campbell, I'll Be Me. I encourage all of you to check that out. It may be streaming on Netflix. I could be wrong, but it's worth noting here. If you go to YouTube, you could watch ABC at a special when Walt Disney World first opened in 1971. And Julie Andrews was there, Bob Hope at the Contemporary. And if I recall correctly, there was a segment where Glenn Campbell was walking through uh, – not the actual park itself, but the land that Disney owned and was singing. Uh, uh, and I'm not sure what song it was that he was singing. I don't recall. I'd have to find the video and watch. But I'm pretty sure he was part of that uh, ABC special on the opening of Walt Disney World. Like, I could be oh. wrong, but I, I do think wow. so. Very cool. Very he was a great cool. artist. A, 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 an emotional, emotional uh, a process that he's been through here to, to follow and uh, – Definitely will be missed, and an artist like that is someone special. And we conclude tonight's episode by saying how much we all love Glenn Campbell's music and would like to play out with the classic Glenn Campbell song that was featured in the soundtrack to Guardians of the Galaxy 2. This is Southern Nights. Rest in peace, Glenn. Just beyond the eye it goes running through